once said, integrity, insight, and inclusiveness are the three essential qualities of leadership. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nerdy Optometrist, a podcast channel for all things optometry, and this is your host, Ukti Bora. Before we get into the episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to my channel on any of your favorite platforms. And before we get into the episode, a huge shout out to Eye and Ear for supporting this episode. I'm sure we are all aware how Eye Care and Ear can be, you know, collaborated. And now with Eye and Ear program, you can offer your patients additional resources to take care of their hearing problem, just like we take care of their eye problem. With that, let me get started with introducing our guest. Everybody knows her with two different uh, identity one definitely her name and other through Wu University and if you haven't googled her yet do it as soon as you listen to this podcast uh, to give her a little bit of a background Dr. Stephanie Wu was born and raised in Arizona she graduated with honors from the Southern College California College of Optometry and completed a cornea and contact lens residency at the University of Missouri St. Louis she was the recipient of the gas permeable lens institute award for clinical excellence and also the John R. Griffin Award for Excellence in Vision Therapy. While we struggle to, you know, excel in one speciality, she has been awarded for two. So you definitely know you need to Google her right now. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wu is a fellow of American Academy of Optometry, as well a fellow of Scleral Lens Society. She is a frequent author uh, to publications such as Contact Lens Spectrum, Contact Lens and Cornea Section of the American Optometric Association, Review of cornea and contact lenses and review of optometric business. Yes, she definitely has covered everything needed to contact lenses as well as business. Why she's an active GPLI advisory board member, and Dr. Wu is a past president of the Scleral Lens Education Society and an adjunct professor at the Midwestern University. While we all try to, you know, have a specialty care practice as part of our clinic. She owns the Contact Lens Institute of Nevada, a clinic dedicated entirely to custom contact lens lenses. Yes, while you're still struggling to, you know, have contact lenses or specialty care as one part of it, she has done it all. Dr. Wu was awarded Gas Permeable Lens Practitioner of the Year in 2022. And in her spare time, she has a very interesting uh, hobby. She is an avid wine collector. And I would like to know a little more about, you know, about her hobby as well. But with that, let's get started. A warm welcome to the Nerdy family. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you and your listeners. Awesome. And I have to say this out loud that uh, even though she has like a crazy busy schedule, she decided to, you know, just join on this conversation at a very short notice. So this is what dedication looks like. <laughs> so we want to go from very beginning that how did you bump into this profession of optometry? Was this an accident or was this a planned career option for you? Yeah, sure. So my father is an MD. He uh, is a private practitioner. He does uh, general medicine. He owns his own practice in Arizona. And so I think just being in a family of medicine, I thought that I wanted to be a medical doctor. So I started shadowing lots of different specialties, such as plastic surgery, general practitioner, dermatology, obstetrics, lots of different things. And something that just surprised me is when I would talk to some of the doctors about if they would do it all over again, a lot of them said no. So I thought, well, 
maybe <laughs> medicine is not the right answer, but I still knew that I wanted to do something in the medical field. So I started looking into other things like dentistry, podiatry, optometry, and optometry was just kind of a clear winner from the beginning. And I think it's just because I've had terrible vision since I was a kid. I always enjoyed going to the eye doctor. And when I shadowed him and then a few other optometrists, they all really enjoyed their jobs and they were all very, very nice people. And I really wanted to be a part of that community. So that's really how my journey into optometry kind of began. Interesting. So it's good to know that, you know, and I have to say anyone, you know, who's been part of optometry would hands down say I would do it all over again because of the opportunity, the, you know, variety this profession offers along with a very good work-life balance. And I'm sure you would be experiencing the same. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, that was one of the main reasons that uh, medicine was unappealing is because, The doctors were on call multiple hours a day, on the weekends, at nights. I mean, it just seemed like you really couldn't have a life outside of work or, you know, it was very easily to be disrupted. So optometry is definitely a more stable career for sure. Absolutely. But even though being a stable career, you decided to set yourself apart by, you know, having your own specialty contact lens practice. As I mentioned in the introduction, right, like still people are struggling to have a specialty care uh, section in their practice. You have an entire practice dedicated to it. So you found a challenge in the comfort. So how did that happen? How did you decide to, you know, have a dedicated practice only for custom contact lenses? And, you know, how did that journey started? Well, um, I, after my cornea contact lens residency, I moved back to my hometown in Arizona and I just joined my, my childhood optometrist and I started working as an associate. And so that's how kind of, I got my first job, you know, needed to start paying student loans and just get some money coming in and get more experience. So as I kind of started at the practice, it was a private practice with regular eye exams, lots of medical eye exams because we live in a rural area, um, lots of glasses, contacts, things of that nature, pre and post-ops. But there were no specialty lenses at all because my my uh, employer at the time, he didn't know how to really do them and he didn't have any interest. So with me coming fresh out of residency, I talked to him and said, this is something that I'm very skilled in and I would really like to bring this to the practice. And he was very supportive and was really excited for us to bring that service in. So we did, you know, I talked to the the, the staff and told them kind of what my specialty was because they weren't really familiar with it at all since they didn't have any patients. And then I talked to some of the eye doctors in the area and went to go visit them and let them know, you know, what I can help their patients with and what type of patients that they can send to me um, in case they didn't want to fit those types of, of patients. So that's kind of how everything got started. And in the beginning, it was very slow. We had to really build up the, the patient population of specialty lenses. So it really just began with my, my partner and myself. My Well, he was my employer at the time, later partner, but we became really interested in kind of learning about some of the different patients that we were seeing for their regular eye exams 
and seeing if they would qualify or be interested in specialty contact lenses. So most of the referrals, probably for the first two years, were just patients that we were already seeing in our office for their annual exams. Then as that kind of grew and became more popular, a lot of the other doctors in the area, the MDs and the ODs, started to slowly trickle in and referrals would come in. We would send reports and patients would let the other doctors know how well they were seen. And so the referrals started to increase as well. So what started as zero specialty lens patients grew very quickly to where we had over a thousand specialty patients within five years. So it was an incredible amount of exponential growth over those five years. I became partners with my employer. So we owned three practices, um, two in Arizona, one in California. And we had this very comprehensive situation where we had regular eye exams, pre and post ops, glasses, soft contacts, specialty lenses, we kind of did it all. And, you know, after about 10 years of practicing, I kind of took a step back and I said, what would my ideal day be like as an eye doctor? And thinking long and hard, it wasn't something that came overnight. I had to think about it a lot and talk to a lot of friends. And it was, for me, it's like specialty lenses. If I could do that all day, every day, that would give me a tremendous amount of joy and satisfaction. So then knowing that that was what I wanted to do, I had to start thinking of, well, if I am going to do a specialty lens only clinic, I need to move to a bigger city. Lake Havasu, where I'm from, is only 50,000 people, so a, a practice like that really wouldn't be sustainable for such a small town. So that's when I started looking into bigger cities, and that's how I ended up deciding on Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas is a very large city, very easy for patients to fly in, fly out. And, you know, in the whole area of Nevada, there's not a lot of doctors that are fitting specialty lenses, at least to the extent that, that I am. And so that's where I kind of got the idea and that's how things kind of began. And then we opened our doors in uh, January of 2020 and then had to close <laughs> in March. <laughs> and then we kind of reopened again in, in June. And so it's been a, a very interesting process. I mean, it's the best thing I've ever done for my career, but it takes a lot of guts, a lot of courage and uh, a lot of support. <laughs> Absolutely. And while you were sharing your journey, I did have my pointers, which, you know, were my learning lessons from your end, which I felt would, I would like to highlight. And it is fantastic because first to even begin with, you know, you going, you've done your fellowship and this happens with all of us, right? We've learned something in a fellowship. You have a ready setup where you have those patients, you have the contact lens set, everything is right there. And now you're learning. But when you step out in real world, you have to start from scratch. You don't have anything. And that's where some people might just like leave it because it's not there in my practice. I don't know how to start. But you were, I would say, confident enough to, you know, go to your employer and say, this is what I want to own as part of the business. Can I do this? And when you go and say that out loud, it is your responsibility. It's not something you say and then you forget about it. It is your contribution to that business, which I feel is something that 
after doing a fellowship it's great but you have to find a way to implement it it could be in a practice which doesn't have but has patients right have you rightly mentioned the first two years they were your own patients and you were trying to find how can you sustain that kind of a practice i think that's fantastic along with that Another amazing thing you mentioned was the whole new, I mean, it's an old concept, but talked a lot about is shared care, talking to other practitioners and telling them you offer this, because that is something many, many times we also lack, like you just want things to happen. No, you have to go out mm -hmm. there, talk about it again and again, till people start sending you patients and trusting you. And it took you two years. So it wasn't a cakewalk. It's not that, you know, it was just yesterday that you got all the patients standing in front of your clinic. No. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a, a, a great point because you think that just by opening up, you're going to have patients. And that's absolutely not true. <laughs> you have to work really hard to get referrals and gain the referring doctor's trust because they might send you a patient but they're not going to send you another one unless they, until they really see the results of kind right. of the first patient they send you. And you want to make sure that you're in great communication with the referring doctor during all phases. So it just, it takes a while to build up. And I think that a lot of doctors kind of, they might think, oh, just by opening my doors, I'll have a bunch of patients. And it is absolutely not like that. You have to work very, very hard to get the patients in the door and maintain those relationships with the referring doctors too. Absolutely. And I really loved how you said you went from zero to thousand because everybody now knows you like, oh yeah, you know, you have a successful practice. It's good for me to, you know, put it out there, but you, you started from zero. So even though you were part of a practice, you were trying to do something which didn't exist in that practice. So that's again, something which, you know, whoever is out there and listening to this episode, go do it. You know, you just have to start somewhere it could be today, just step out and like do what you feel you would want your day to look like. And again, you know, you, you highlighted a very interesting point. I actually was going to ask you, but then it was interesting how you said you opened your doors in 2020 and then you had to close your doors again. My question initially was, this is what I had framed my question that, you know, I've heard this, that during COVID, when other practices might be struggling, specialty care had the dedication patient who would come to them. And that really helped those practitioners who already had that kind of offering versus those who were struggling. You, I'm sure, would have a very interesting story to share. Tell me how was 2020 and beyond for you? Yeah, so it was very scary because I had sold my other practices, Arizona and California. I sold those practices to open up this practice in Las Vegas. And my husband had quit his job so that he could help me open the clinic. So we basically were putting all our eggs in one basket and we opened up the clinic. And then, of course, you know, all of February, we were out there just hitting the pavement, letting people know that we were here introducing ourselves, going to dinners, lunches, I mean, anything we could do to just kind of get known in, in the optometry and ophthalmology community. Um, and then in March, you know, everybody had to close down. So it was a bit scary because we had both basically quit our jobs <laughs> to open up this practice. But it also gave me a lot of time to think um, about just things that you don't think about when you first open a business. There's just little things that come up that you could not have predicted, like licensing and 
you know, the Nevada Board of Optometry needed something else. And then there was the business side of the Nevada State Secretary. I mean, there were just little things that I didn't know about until they showed up. So I was able to kind of navigate those and kind of get those done while we were closed. And then that also gave me a lot of time to think about what else I could do in optometry, which is how Wu Yu came about. We can talk about that later. But it just gave me a bit more time to gain even more clarity on what I really wanted for my life and my career and how I really saw the next year panning out. Right. I really loved how you highlighted another interesting point about one that you had also mentioned earlier about research, right? It's it's good to say I want to start a clinic and we are always being taught a lot about optometry in school, but business is such an important aspect, which is not that strong of, uh, you know, discussion during your college days, right? It's only when you're out there, you realize, okay, I need this, 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 this is how the business is run. So a research, I feel is a very important point that you highlighted for anyone who's trying to do something. You definitely would want to start as soon as possible, but also do your homework well, so you don't bump into un unknown territories. And if something like this happens, which is like COVID was just was there and we didn't know what to do, I think the good thing is to make the most of the crisis, I would say. And I think everybody did a great job. And that led to the Wu University, which I'm also very interested to know about. But thank you once again for sharing those interesting insights. And before we go into uh, the Wu University, were there any major roadblocks from like, you know, opening this clinic or taking this leap of faith of like quitting everything and like, okay, I want to do this. Was there any major roadblock or anything where you would like to share and, you know, tell people or give them a heads up? Yeah. So whenever you're, if you're creating a new practice from scratch, I think that the timeline that you give yourself, you probably want to like double it. <laughs> so if you think <laughs> the new clinic's going to be open in six months, it's probably going to take more like a year. If you think your new clinic's going to be open in a year, it's probably going to be like, 18 months or two years. And it's just because there's a lot of things that are not in your control, which, and you would have no idea to anticipate. So just for instance, the funding, let's say the bank is going to give you a loan and you have to have that loan in order to uh, put a deposit down on the land or your lease. Uh, in, in my case, I'm in a medical um, hospital building. So if the funding gets delayed, then the, that puts a delay on, on, on that as well. And if you're doing construction, then that's going to be further delay things. And then even during the construction phase, I didn't really know anything about the construction industry at all. But when they kind of gave me a quote on when things were going to be done, um, I thought it was going to be done at that time. And it wasn't until about six months later until everything was finished. So that was like a significant amount of time that I was not planning for. But again, these are all just things that are out of your control, city permitting, all that stuff that you just wouldn't know to anticipate and you just have no control of. So I think just going in with a mindset of if you're going to do this, make sure you're planning a bit of extra time because that can greatly affect your finances and your planning. You know, if you depend on the money that you're making, to survive, 
maybe don't give that up entirely right. until you are ready to open your doors. Don't say, okay, well, the new clinic's going to be open in January. So I'm putting in my notice now. The new clinic may not be open until June. So what are you going to do for six months for money? Right. Those are just, I think, little things that I did not anticipate and hopefully I can help someone <laughs> that no, might be that's... considering opening. A yeah, practice. I think that's great. Like, you know, you have to be uh, conscious and smart enough while you're making these decisions for yourself. I really like, and also it, it's less stress if you're mentally prepared. Like if it opens in six months, great but if it yeah extends to a year you know if you have this kind of insight and like if you're mentally prepared it won't stress you out other than everything else that is out of your control you also don't want it to impact your mental health right so I think that's a great great insight that you shared now you did mention that you know you know uh, the WU University happened during lockdown so tell us a little more about it uh, and then I have more questions for them <laughs> sure yeah so when we were in lockdown, had a lot of time, there was nothing else to do, you know, you couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. So I uh, spent basically all of our time in our house. And then outside, we have a backyard and a pool, thank goodness. So we were able to kind of go back and forth a little bit. But we had a lot of time to think. So my husband and I talked a lot about kind of our futures and what we saw uh, for each other. And be besides the clinic and being a clinician and seeing patients, I always knew that once I started this path, I didn't want to just see patients. I, I had already done that. I did that for 10 years, saw patients five, six days a week, you know, eight hours plus hours a day, driving to all these satellite locations. I mean, I put in a ton of time and effort and I thought, you know what, I want to do something else that's not just patient care, but I didn't really know what that was. And I had done I, I've, I've given a lot of lectures and I really enjoy speaking and I really enjoy teaching so those just kind of seem like natural fits to what I wanted to do next and the way woo you really came about was during the pandemic and the lockdown as I was kind of thinking of things of what to do I, I was seeing a lot of my friends optometrists that owned practices and they were struggling with paying their bills. They had to furlough their staff. They had to pay rent. You know, there were a lot of equipment manufacturers that were not allowing them to take a bit longer to pay for their equipment loans. So I saw a lot of my friends in the optometry field really struggling. And it was a major source of anxiety for them because of the pandemic. So I guess I just thought, well, is there anything that I can do as a colleague to help my friends? And that's where the WUU idea really came to be, was I thought, well, I have like 160 lectures that are COPE approved. Maybe I could figure out a way to like present some of those. And that way people can get free CE and that's one less expense that they are going to have to worry about at the end of the year, because as you know, CE yeah. costs a lot of money, especially if, if you have to travel. I mean, thousands of dollars you probably spend each year with CE fees. So I thought, well, this could be my small contribution to my friends and colleagues to try to help them with some of their CE requirements. And that's where the, the concept came to be. It took a bit of time to get the organization, the nonprofit formed 
And to become a COPE administrator, there's a lot of paperwork and stuff that has to go in and training and things. So once we had that, we were able to deliver our very first event, which was uh, December of 2020. And we had, I think, about 80 or 100 doctors that showed up, which I thought was a great number for our first event. Absolutely. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. So I started reaching out to more potential sponsors. You know, we've had incredible support from lots of different industry members on this initiative. And that's kind of where things are at now. We've really grown and put together a lot of different events. And it's been really fun. Absolutely. And for all those who haven't had a chance to look up, I'll be adding that in my description link. So please do check it out. And, you know, this is a great resource in terms of if you want to get any COPE approved CE credits. For those who I know, because I have listeners from all around the world, some places, you know, you don't need those COPE approved lectures. But when you talk about COPE approved, it is a more standard process. It is like, you know, verified that the content is of great quality. So that is the reason why, you know, COPE approved has a lot more value. And I highly recommend everyone to, you know, just check those sessions and lectures out. Don't only focus on CE credits, that's great. But even if you are in a country which does not require it, do use the resource to you know, learn and put that into your practice. Yeah, we have lots of uh, practitioners that are from all over the world. So the COPE approval is you know, for the US and, and Canadian optometrists that want that. But we have eye doctors from all over that they don't need that. They just want to show up for the event, learn the information, and it's it helps them in their practices. Absolutely. Did you have any challenges when, you know, you're putting this together? Because it is a lot of work along with your practice. Like I just manage one podcast and sometimes I have days when I think, oh my God, I want to quit. (laughs) And now here you are, you know, running another organization along with your full-time practice. Uh, Tell us more about the challenges that come along with, you know, starting something this big. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. You know, having like multiple things to do that requires your attention, you kind of get pulled in both directions. But the good news is with my Contact Lens Institute, we've got a great system now where I see patients a few days a week. I have an associate that sees patients when I'm not there. And because we don't take insurance, we have a very, very small staff. So it's very, very easy to maintain. We have a complete system of how we talk to patients, what happens as far as the process goes. So everything has been very systematized in my clinic. So I feel like it runs really, really smoothly now after it's been open for a couple of years. So thank goodness we've got that kind of under wraps. And of course, we're always trying to improve and there's struggles with any business, um, no matter what you're doing. But with WooU, same thing. I think with the Contact Lens Institute and with WooU, there's times where things are really good and we're getting lots of sponsors and lots of speakers and coming up with these great events. And then there's times that are like a struggle where I'm like, gosh, I, you know, no, everybody's out of money. They don't have money in their budgets until next year. So it takes a ton of time. I mean, it's definitely a labor of love and I do it because I love it and it's, it's fun, but uh, you know, I, I think eventually it will pay off, you know, and it already has, you know, the events are super valuable and the feedback that we get 
from the attendees really, really makes it worth it just seeing how much people are learning and how much they appreciate the information. I think that's what keeps it keeps it running and keeps it going and keeps it motivating. Absolutely. And I think you said two very interesting things. One is uh, to have a system because without system, it will always look like a chaos. So even though there is chaos in the beginning, always try to create some system that will help you put things in place and run more in an autopilot mode versus you, you know, constantly driving the show. And second thing, which you said I really loved was, you know, have fun with it. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it. Because otherwise, like, you know, your work should be more like, something that you enjoy uh, versus, you know, something that just drains you out. It just takes away the fun out of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that as, I mean, it's a natural thing that most times when people, as you get older and more experienced, you realize you just don't have time for the things that you don't love or Mm -hmm. the things that you hate. So start getting rid of those things immediately and just focus on the things that you really do like. And I think it just ends up that you're more happy and life is more enjoyable and you feel like um, the time that you are spending at work is more valuable and, you know, you can, you'll put more effort into it. (laughs) Absolutely. Any, uh, anything that you would want to share about the upcoming events or anything about who you that, you know, would help my listeners that they should look out for? Yeah, so uh, just subscribing to our newsletter through WooYou is the best way to know what events we have coming up and get early access. Um, Most of our events, I would say like 98% of our events are free. So definitely signing up for events is great. There are some that are paid um, just because they're topics that sponsors are not interested in funding. But doctors really want the information. So we organize and plan those. But getting on the newsletter, I think is the best way to find out what the upcoming events are. We've got 22 different courses that are on demand. So those are courses you can watch at any time from anywhere and earn credit. Or if you don't need the credit, just watching them for fun. Uh, But yeah, WooYu's got a lot of events planned. For the rest of 2023, we're working on the latter half of the year calendar now. And then also, uh, or for 2022, and then we're working on the 2023 calendar. We also have not only educational events through Zoom and and such, but uh, we're also working on a program where doctors are going to be able to access online and become keratoconus essential practitioner certified. So that's going to be another exciting educational platform that's going to be released uh, sometime in the in the future. It's an initiative between Wu Yu and the International Keratoconus Academy with support from uh, Glauco. So I'm really, really excited for that to launch. I think it's going to be so professional. All of the speakers that we had do the videos and the trainings were excellent. And I'm really excited to see that project. So who knows what Wu Yu will continue to be and become. It just keeps coming up with more different educational platforms and ideas. So I'm I'm really excited to see what the future holds. Yeah. And you know what, this is very interesting. Like you started this because you wanted to help. And the way it has been, you know, loved and cherished by all the attendees shows the way it is growing, right? You started with one idea. Now you have so many things coming up and like we're already planning for 2023, which shows your system and your processes.
So we did talk a lot about you, your journey, your specialty care, but now we're going to go into my favorite fun game section. Uh, we're going to play a quick rapid fire uh, where I just want to know a little bit more about you. Okay. So are you ready for the rapid fire round? Sure, I'm ready. All right. Uh, the first question. Uh, tell us about your favorite destination. Ooh. Well, um, I guess I really like Europe. We went there for a honeymoon um, to Italy and we're getting ready to go to France in a couple weeks. So I would say right now, that's probably my favorite destination from where we've been. <laughs> Lovely. A hobby or something you do during your downtime? I know you're a wine collector, but anything else that you do? Yeah, I love I love collecting wine. I love reading about wine. I'm actually a certified sommelier. And that is just for fun, but there's a lot of education and history and tests that go into that. It sounds strange because why would I put myself through all of this extra studying and tests and all these things after optometry school, but it's purely for fun. And I love learning about wine and just the history of it. And I mean, there's so much to know and uh, we collect a lot of wine as well. So that's probably like my number one hobby outside of um, eye care and woo you. <laughs> <laughs> all right people you know what to gift her just saying it out there <laughs> <laughs> all right one thing about you that people don't know let's see um that's a good question I was I mean most of the time when someone asks me that I tell them about my sommelier collection um <laughs> I guess maybe people wouldn't know that when I was in high school, I was the student body president of the entire school. That's like, I guess, an interesting fact. Um, also, I was going to school to become a teacher before I became an optometrist. So it was a kind of a shift of, in events when I was in college. So that's also an interesting fact, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, from like, from teaching to, you know, deciding to be in optometry. And I think then when you say, you know, you were uh, doing what you were doing in your school, I'm sure you're a leader since, since a kid. So that shows, you know, how, what you're doing <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Your favorite cuisine? Oh, it's definitely Italian food. I actually love cooking. And so whenever I cook, I, I mean, I try to cook all sorts of different cuisines, but Italian food is definitely my favorite. And I love following different companies and different recipes that are very, very authentic Italian food. So it's been really fun over the last maybe 15 years learning to cook really authentic Italian food. Lovely. Uh, and if there was someone or you could interview dead or alive, who would that be and what would the question be? Mm. You know, I would I would love to interview Joe Rogan. And that's because he's got this in, amazing podcast where he's gotten to interview so many incredible people. And I love the fact that he's so open-minded. And, you know, one week he'll have on a vegetarian person who's pro-vegan and kind of telling us why we should eat less animals. And then he'll have someone on the next week that is a meat eater, a hunter, and just getting their perspective. And I love the fact that he's able to get so many different people on his podcast um, that have so many different opinions and perspectives and ideas. He would be somebody that I would, I would love to talk to. 
Do you have any questions for him? I would just kind of ask him, you know, you've learned so much from all of the different people you've interviewed. What are like the three takeaways, life lessons that you want everyone to know if you just, you know, could get it out there in the world? Like these are three things that everyone should should know. I, I think that he would have some great insights on that. <laughs> Wonderful. I think that's very interesting. Uh if we were to write an autobiography about your journey, what would you like the title to be? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, I feel like some of my friends, because my last name is really easy to do play on words, maybe it would be something like, who is the woo in woo you or something like that. <laughs> I, I I really like it though. I feel like it's interesting. And you said it right. Like your last name is really interesting where you can play around <laughs> and make it make it a fun, fun autobiography for sure. So at least we can say who will be part of the title. We don't know how you're going to place it. Yes, though. we'll figure <laughs> it out. There's probably a million possibilities. <laughs> Wonderful. For people, you know, who have any suggestions and you would want her to write or like document her journey, do do send her title ideas. You would like to listen. Yeah, send it to my Instagram. Be like, oh, here's the title for your autobiography. I'm sure there'll be more interesting things, that things than things that I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And one thing that you would like to change in the icon industry what would that be well I think a lot of people focus on a lot of the negatives whenever I go on social media I see a lot of people complaining about the low reimbursements and how patients don't want to pay or you know that people are abusing their contact lens policy and all these different things and I think it's just important to realize that you have ultimate power. You are the one that determines your schedule. You are the one that determines your pay. And so if you feel like you are not getting reimbursed properly from a certain insurance company, you don't have to keep them. You can get rid of them and say, listen, I, I am not going to get paid X amount of dollars when I am worth way more than that. So I think that a lot of times people think they're stuck or that there's just no way around it, but there absolutely is. You are absolutely in charge of your destiny. And, and I think it's really, really important to, to make sure that you are aware of that, that the choices that you make are the result of where you are now and where you're going to be in the future. So there is always a way if you don't like how things are going, you have the power to change it. And I think instead of asking the question or or just kind of saying like, this is so awful, I feel like I'm stuck or I'm trapped and there's no way out, maybe asking better questions like, okay, well, how can I get paid more? How can I reduce no-shows? How can I create a more manageable schedule? Maybe shifting the the types of questions you're asking can help provide better solutions, but you always have the power to dictate your future and your and your schedule and the types of patients you see and how much money you make. You just have to have the courage to kind of ask yourself those hard questions. Absolutely. And one last thing that I would like to add to what you said was reach out to your friends and colleagues in the industry. Everybody is helpful. I can tell you from being an outsider to this country, I just 
went out there and I know the entire industry was there to help me. So if they're helping me, I'm sure they'll help you. So that's that's an, another important thing that I would like to you know, just say it out there for everyone listening to this episode. Yeah, optometrists are good people. I mean, just the best. That's why I really wanted to be a part of the the eye industry. And I love my colleagues. I think that there's some of the best people in the world and we have an amazing profession and community. Absolutely. With that, you did wonderful in our rapid fire. It was easy, fun. And, you know, we, we learned a lot <laughs> about you and what to gift you. So <laughs> uh, with that, thank you once again, Dr. Wu, for your time. Is there anything else that you would like to add as your final takeaway message? Anything that you would like to share with my listeners before we end this episode? I think just uh, um, following your passion, you know, taking a step back. If you're not happy with where you're at or what you're doing, sometimes just taking a step back, taking a day to kind of reflect on what your ideal day would be and having the, the courage to try to change it. So even if you're working for somebody, if you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or you're not getting the support you need, it all starts with you asking for help and coming up with ideas of, of how things might be changed. Um, something else that I, I did was something called Time Genius, which was a course from Marie Forleo, uh, an, another amazing human being that I love learning from. And that really, really helped me curate how I spend my time when I am doing certain things and how I can maximize efficiency. So those are just a few little key takeaways and nuggets. But yeah, I, I think that it's great. And, and optometry is, is a wonderful profession. There's so many different avenues that you can take to be happy. And it just takes the courage to take action. Absolutely. Thank you once again for your time and all those insights. I had a lot of fun learning everything from you. I feel motivated and I feel that, you know, there's so much that uh, I can learn from you. Thank you once again for your time. Uh, for all my listeners, once again, I'll be dropping all the links in the description about uh, the who you as well as, you know, about our sponsors, I and Ear. So do check it out if, and don't forget to follow her, check out her website, subscribe to her newsletter also don't forget to subscribe nerdy optometrist and leave me a review if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episodes with that thank you so much once again for your time and we really appreciate you being part of the nerdy family thank you bye, bye.